Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. The art of living is more like wrestling than dancing. My name is Thomas and I'm here as always with my friend Andrew. Andrew, what are you drinking today? And are you double fisting? Uh, well, I'm only double fisting because it's in one bottle and it's in one McKellar and Friends glass. But uh, counts. I, I, we were talking about pumpkin beers last week. I got a little jealous, so I, I had to get my River Horse Hippo Lantern Imperial Pumpkin. Oh, it's it's like pumpkin soda almost, but it's eight percent, so it's it's nice. That's weird. Does it taste like beer? Yeah, it tastes like beer. I mean, it's okay. like it's more, I guess, carbonated than most beers. Gotcha. So it has like this interesting pumpkin-ish soda thing going on. Man, I need to get to New York so I can get some of that. I don't know. I mean, we have plenty of pumpkin beers here, but I have like grass is greener syndrome right now. Mm. I'm just convinced that the pumpkin beers you have in Hoboken are better. Oh, they're better. They than probably are. Else. Yeah. I mean, you're close to, like, Vermont, New Hampshire, and that's where some of the best beer in the world is, so I've been told. Hmm. Which I'm going to Vermont in, like, a month and a half. Really? Not so to I scare. might have to pop myself over to a convenience store and see if I can find some of those, like, top-rated beers. True that. Maybe, possibly. So I am actually double-fisting today. I have some, uh, I think it's called Ardbeg Scotch. It's an Isla. It's 10-year. It's very, very peaty. And that's how I like it. It's not sweet <laughs> at all. Mm. And then I have a uh, water, you know, because we go hard here. We, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So today's uh, catchphrase is about 2,000 years old. The art of living is more like wrestling. The dancing is a quote from Marcus Aurelius. Um, he wrote a book called Meditations, which is one of the most influential texts in Stoic philosophy. I did a video on it once. And apparently at Scott underscore D underscore I on Twitter has read it as well. Because he sent that in to us. Thank you for that catchphrase. And if you, dear listener, want to send us a catchphrase, you can tweet us at Money Matters Man or find us on Facebook or send a raven. So today, we got Roger Whitney on the show. He is the Retirement Answer Man. He's got a podcast called Retirement Answer Man, and he basically helps people figure out retirement. So how's it going, Roger? Awesome. Awesome. I do not have a beer in my hand. Oh, no. It is prior to five or four or five in the afternoon, and I'm 48 years old, man. If I had a beer, I would be so groggy for the rest of the What are you doing day. on my show? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'll drink two or three tonight for you. All right. That's no, it's okay. Actually, in a lot of episodes, I just have like a carbonated water or something. Okay, and I have sans on. beer today, too. Or, or Thomas will drink tea with like a fuck you, Andrew, on the bottom of the mug. So every time he takes a sip, I just... Uh, <laughs> Come on, it only says I see dumb people. That's true. That's true. I stole that mug from a roommate and I'm very glad that I remember not to use it when I'm interviewing like guests. Just for it's just for Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I mean we're gonna talk about a, a good few things here, but uh one of the things you mentioned before we started recording was that you should you should not focus on retirement goals should focus on priorities and like I have some contention with this because I'm a very goal oriented person. Andrew, I think you are too. Yeah. Let's get into a discussion about this and you guys are see screwing what... it up then. No. Uh, <laughs> well, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with goals. But what I found is that when you set goals, you feel like a loser if you don't hit them, right? You feel committed to mm. hitting those goals. And at least in my journey working with people is that their life changes so much. So if I got John and Sally and they're like, I want to retire when I'm 55 and we hammer out a plan and we start marching towards that goal. Well, that takes on a life of its own. 
that everything is surrounded to reaching that goal. But when if John and Sally are 40, their life is going to change so much between being 40 and being 55. And I like the word priorities because giving up on a goal sort of feels like you're being a loser. And calling it a priority allows you to pivot as your life unfolds. And what ends up happening, you figure this out when you get my age and older, is that what you thought you cared about, you really don't care about at all. And you care about something new as you enter a new season of life. So I just sort of don't like the word goal because it starts to create those obligations that you have to actually go do it, right? Okay. Yeah, I can see some sense in that, actually. So like, I mean, now, how old are you guys? I mean, remind me how old you guys are. I'm 24. Whoa. Whoa. Andrew's like, Andrew's Every time like, you say that, I'm just yeah. like, what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm 30. Oh, and I say, whoa. What? <laughs> yes. So take you guys. If I were to talk to you two about retirement, you're going to be like, what? I'm 30 years old. I have no clue. And then the normal financial planning process is going to say, but you have to know. You have to pick something. Otherwise, I can't put it into my model, right? (laughs) So rather than forcing you to pick something that means absolutely nothing to you, what I do is rather than try to figure it all out, I say, okay, 12 months, what's our priorities for the next 12 months? And then what's our priorities for the next three years? And then we can have a vague thing for five years out. And then you just keep moving to the one-year priority, and then you ultimately create a pretty cool financial plan just through the iteration of it all. Okay, so you're not really saying, I want to retire at 55. You're just saying, like, I guess something around that ballpark is my desire, and I'm going to set, like, a one-year priority to match that? Well, then you take the baby steps to walk into it. So if you wanted to visualize it, we're about to enter football season here, right? So you guys are on, like, your own 10-yard line. Mm -hmm. And say retirement, or really it's more independent. We can talk about retirement later if you want. That's like the other goal line. Well, that's pretty far away. You're not like me. You don't need glasses, but it's still going to be a little bit blurry. So you just need to make sure you're walking the right direction and you're not going out of bounds. As you get closer in your journey, you can start to really define it to harder goals. But okay. when you're so early, it's so far off. So I'm curious because I've had people email me, and it's it's really unfortunate where it's like their parents are, you know, 55, and they're ready to start preparing for retirement, (laughs) and and it's like kind of a tough thing to respond to, and I'm with you on like setting short-term goals that you can achieve, but like, how do you keep it so that you know going out of bounds is one thing, but you have to also you know get 10 yards before you know the fifth down. Oh, yeah. The, the, I think when you're younger anyway, and really throughout your life, it's more about building your wealth, your balance sheet wealth, and your cash flow machine, right? We're all basically small businesses. So whether you're 20, 25, or 50, it's about what, you know, what kind of expenses do I have to live the life of Roger in my case, and yes, you can noodle there and try to get those expenses to be reasonable, but there's that's where everybody focuses the time on cash flow is budgeting. Mm. But there's only so much frugaling you can do. I mean, if I freaking cut my HBO, I'm not really cutting my bill that much, mm. and I'm going to miss some cool series. Where the real opportunity is, is on the cash flow side, on the income side of that ledger of cash flow in creating income. 
And there are a lot of different ways you can do that from just making yourself indispensable at work to passive real estate to side hustle. There are a lot of different ways. And that's really where most of the time should be spent there. Mm. And then that's always the lifeblood of a business or an individual is creating free cash flow, excess money over your lifestyle budget. And then- I could I could totally get on board with the additional income. I mean, Thomas and I work we toil hours into the night as I'm sure you do. But uh like the thing is not not everyone wants that. So how how do you kind of like I'm sure most people you talk to don't want to build a thing for 3 years and then hopefully make money. Like uh how how do you kind of guide them towards that? Well, it, it's really facilitating them, right? It's it's a matter of you say you want X, you say you you know you say you want to retire at fifty five. Well, there's only so much you can do. You know, whatever resources you have, are you willing to work to achieve what you want to achieve? So the way I do it from a retirement planning standpoint, and this is where I find people really screw it up in terms of setting their priorities, is they try to be too reasonable about what they want their life to look like because they're so freaked out about retiring because you see all the you know the studies that it's not going to happen so they end up becoming too conservative in setting their priorities and then they they potentially die with too much money what i do is i flip it around and i say no i want you to go big go big and set your ideal retirement if you could go into that negotiation and just steal it and more than likely, you're not going to be able to hit all those things, right? Because mm. you're going to think too big if you did it right. But then, mm. by doing that, it allows you to prioritize what is really important to you. And then you okay. can go about trying to get as much of that as you want, but you make sure you get the things you really want. See, that's tough for me. Because like, if you were to ask me, you know, what's your huge pie in the sky? If you can steal a negotiation ideal, you know, I'd be thinking like, millions able to do crazy things like build schools or go anywhere and then if i look at realistic goals like i don't know for me it usually comes down to like a monthly income that supports a standard of living which kind of translates itself to a goal so i guess i'm like right back where i started setting goals well well, to your question (laughs) though is well how do you guide people say on the cash flow thing some people have an entrepreneurial blood. They're willing to take the risk and do the work because it bluntly takes a lot longer than anybody really realizes. Mm. They think, you know, you guys or anybody just jumped into their success. No, it really sucks at the beginning and you're all alone and you feel like a failure and you don't know if it's going to work. Every year I was pretty sure I was going to be a millionaire (laughs) and it somehow has not (laughs) happened yet. (laughs) And and that's how businesses fail is that they don't have enough runway either emotionally or financially. Mm. So if someone doesn't have that spirit about them, well, what do you do? Well, then, okay, if you have to work for somebody, still one of the better investments you can make if you're trying to build wealth for the future is, okay, what training can you do? What butt can you kiss? What network can you build to work yourself up the corporate ladder? It's still investing in yourself. It's just doing it within the guise of a corporate umbrella rather than you know being a freelancer or something. That is true. Yeah. And I, I, I like to highlight that, you know, for a lot of people, because I think often, at least in our little podcasting space, the answer is always start a side business. Uh, but there's yeah. a lot of income to be gained just by increasing your worth within the confines of your job. You know, so if that's what you want to do, there's opportunity. 
I'll give you a good example, even if it's not inside your job. I have a, a good friend who's a client, been a good friend for years, and he's like a C-level executive at public corporations. I mean, he is just a goer. But he's gotten every job unsolicited through his network. So here's how he structures his career. And he's an Indian guy, super smart. He assumes he will only work at one company for five years. So when he's going in five years, he's assumed he's leaving. He's either going to get fired or he's quitting. And he is maniacal about building and fostering his network. Hmm. When I say that, he, he lives here, but his family's in India. He calls his mother every day from the States to India. And he probably makes two to three birthday calls per day. Wow. And he wow. emails two or three more. His network is as large as I've ever seen, and it's quality people, and he constantly reaches out to him. He travels for his job. So if you're a friend with him on Facebook, he'll put photos. If he knows he's going to Nashville, he's going to find out who he knows in Nashville and go out of his way to go have coffee with him. Wow. But that's a way that you can invest in yourself by building that network, and then when you're looking for job opportunities – the network is fresh. People know you, like you, and love you, and trust you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think the birthday call thing is a really good thing to keep in mind. Like, that's pretty easy to do if you just puts a little bit of effort into it. And it's a really nice know, touch. It's a way to just reach out to people you wouldn't otherwise reach out to. And I like that he calls them as well. Mm. Well, he has his list mm. that he calls and the list that he emails. And I keep waiting for my birthday where he doesn't call me. I know where that I've fallen. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone down to email rank. I'm not <laughs> on the fab five. <laughs> so, I mean, you have 80-some podcast episodes in your site uh, all about retirement. So I kind of want to just give people a little bit of introduction to some of what you're talking about, answer some questions. And, and one of the articles you wrote recently was how to like not worry about your retirement so much. You talked about some things you can do. And I mean, I know a lot of people worry about retirement. So what are some of those things people can do to ease those worries other than not setting goals that make you feel like a failure? <laughs> well, well, here would be my challenge to people. So, and this is going to sound weird coming from the self-described retirement answer man, but I would say consider screwing the word retirement hmm. and figuring out how to create a life you really don't want to retire from. And that's not just a jingle. So let's think about this. The concept of retirement came in the 40s with the advent of Social Security, right? Mm. That's really when, before then, people didn't retire. They worked and then they, until they couldn't work and then they did nothing and then died pretty quickly. Mm. And then when Social Security came out, the idea of retirement really started and it, I think normal Social Security was still at 65, but the average life expectancy was like 66. You know, that Social Security works that. So retirement for a couple of years, then, then you're out. Die, right? That's yeah. my grandfather. He worked for the post office, and then he retired about 64, and he died at 67. And while he was retired, what did he do? He moved to Florida from Detroit and read books. Nowadays, people wanting to retire when they're 60, they're probably going to live until their 80s, and they're going to be healthier, more active, more engaged, and spending a heck of a lot more money than my grandfather did. But we still want to retire in our mid-60s. And then what happens is people get bored, and then they either spend a lot of money or they, their health falls and everything else. So my retirement plan is really not to retire mm. until much later than what people think is normal. 
And that's going to accomplish a lot more things for me. So I'm 48, so I still got a little ways to go. So if I accept that I'm going to work, say, until 70 rather than 60, what does that do for me? That will mean I have 10 years less of income that I need to save up for because I'll be working. Yeah, It's going to allow me to buy more of my current life so because I don't have to build as big a war chest to get to retirement. And that buys me more of my life right now. And I think a lot of people are so freaked out about retirement that, one, it causes stress, which you know has lots of different side effects, but also it, it causes them to work more, be away from their family, postpone joy. So basically, they're sacrificing their life for a tomorrow that may never come. And in my experience, people that are in their 60s that are quote-unquote retired – they're still working, doing something for money because they're bored or they have something to give. So if that's the case, why not plan that way? Yeah, that makes sense. When you're working until you're 70, um, I mean, I'm assuming you're working for yourself. Is, is, that, is that like what you envision? For me? Mm. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, for me, I'll be doing what I'm doing right now. I'll be doing, I'll be creating an educational product. I'll be walking life with clients that I work with directly. And I don't know where all that's going to go, but I'll be intentionally figuring it out, right? Mm. But what does somebody else do? You know, what does somebody do that worked for, you know, the you know corporations? Well, I mean, well, that's what I'm kind of saying is because I, I feel like a lot of people, they see 60 and like, if I could just make it until 60 and then like, I'm yeah, out. jail day. I, mean, I, I hate this stuff, but just a few more. Like, how do you convince them? No, no, just do it till 70. They won't yeah. want to kill you. <laughs> One more that's decade. A, actually, that's an excellent okay. point. <laughs> that is an excellent point because I think what what you're referring to is a lot of people view work and retirement as they're retiring because they're running away from something, right? Yeah. They're wanting, running away from the grind. And that's that, those are the people that end up really floundering the most when they quote-unquote retire because they weren't intentional about what that was supposed to look like. They just wanted to get the hell out of there. Mm. Right, yeah. There's, I think there's like this picture of like sitting on a beach with a martini – and that's retirement. But I mean, like, you drink a martini in four minutes or something, if you're me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree with you, man. I feel like I'm taking it further. I don't think I'll ever stop working. I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading on brain science and how essentially stress and challenges and novelty are what keeps our brains healthy, especially in older age, as the, and, you know, our brains start declining in age, what you do and how you stress your, your neurons is what keeps them healthy. So, those people who just retire to get away and relax, they do get bored and they do kind of burn out. So, I mean, and the, that's the, the sooner you're, and that's a lot of what I, you know, financial planners in general, all they are is a, a pathway to some investment portfolio. Mm. And investing is important, but it's not the be all end all. It's just part of the balance sheet. The, the sooner, and you guys are so lucky, the sooner you can start thinking intentionally about the life you're trying to create, you can position yourself for what that re- what that retirement's going to look like. Mm. I'll give some good examples. I mean, I have I know a lady who makes about a hundred grand a year repairing flags. Wow. Really? You know, I mean, I'm Is hearing like that, Betsy Ross's great 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 granddaughter. There or something. you go. Right? <laughs> she liked to, she, she. I'm in Dallas Fort Worth, and there are a heck of a lot of corporate buildings here, right? And each one of them has probably about three or four flags. And after she told me the story, you start to notice how many flags there are. And all she does yeah. is repair them. And she contacted one land uh, land management company and got one building, and then it just snowballed. 
So now she's making a hundred grand a year working out of her house, repairing oh. flags for all these corporate uh, buildings. So, and we're becoming more and more of a freelance economy. You guys totally get that. Mm. Yeah. Baby boomers in my generation, I'm not quite a baby boomer. We hear about it in the periphery, but we don't know what the heck that means. And I think that's going to be a big solution for my generation and baby boomers, especially the ones that are behind the eight ball mm. that feel like they, they're be, you know, they haven't saved enough, that they're going to have to work longer. Now it's a question of how do you figure out to work more, as much on your own terms as you can? And that's a lot of what we try to challenge people with and noodle about is figuring that part out, not just about throwing more money at your 401k. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, you know, transition into freelance work or their own businesses from areas that might support that. What about people who work maybe in infrastructure where like a lot of their skills are bound up in jobs that simply cannot be done on a freelance basis? You know, what's the path for building some sort of retirement where you're not running away to get away from work you don't like? Well, I think you definitely have to focus on building your balance sheet. So even if you don't have goals or priorities that are really well-defined, at a minimum, especially with younger people, I'm like, other than the one, three, five-year, build that balance sheet right. So it's not just about investing. It's about limiting your debt, having cash reserves, and figuring out what that next position will be. So if you have a guy, let's say it's a GM worker. And he works in a plant. Well, he can't do that freelance, right? He can't mm-hmm. rib it from home. So what is he going to do? I think the time for him to start thinking about how he pivots his career in retirement is while he's still working. So okay. whether he's a handyman that can start a handyman business on the side or whether he's going to be an Uber and start doing that on the side. I have a, a gentleman right now who's 64 and he owns a ranch. And he goes out to it every weekend. And he and I were talking, and he's thinking of retiring in like four or five years. And he goes, Roger, I think I'm going to start a lawn business when I retire. I'll buy a bunch, I'll take a bunch of money, buy a bunch of big equipment, and start doing lawns. Hmm. And I was like, well, John, that's a great idea, but you got three or four years to think about that. Rather than make that your plan, why don't you test that concept right now while you have a real job? Hmm. You know, why yeah. don't you go do it a little, you know, rather than go to your ranch every weekend, buy some inexpensive lawn equipment, go do it, or figure out how to hire a team and see if you actually like it. Don't yeah. go spend a ton of money after the fact, after you've quit your day job and find out this sucks. <laughs> Definitely. Shoot a bullet first. It kind of reminds me of like these people who, you know, they're office workers and they just have this fantasy, like this fantasy, I'm going to go start a farm, you know, I'm going to go live in a farm and like work on it all day. And they have no experience and like, I don't know, all the ones I've heard about, they fail because... Or a coffee need- shop or a yeah. sub shop. I mean, you're just signing up for a really crappy job if you have a sub shop, if you don't do it like a business owner. Right. Yeah. I've got a friend who, I mean, she wants to own a coffee shop, but she's doing it the right way where she's like becoming a manager at an existing one, learning how to run an existing business already, gaining that experience. I like that. So yeah, definitely... During your working years, thinking about how you can start taking baby steps to pivot, you know, or you can pay $67 and get my Rivet from Home e-course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll rivet? teach you how to rivet from home. You just need a lot of garden hose, pneumatic tubes, and a little bit of uh, wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where I think the problem is, is that, you know, as financial planners, everybody thinks it's an investment solution. 
And then the people that are the experts to counsel and you know, guide individuals, all they say is, yeah, just keep giving us more money to invest. And investing is just a small part of the solution. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, what other uh, pieces do you see in retirement beyond investing? I mean, obviously setting priorities and, and maybe short and long-term not goals. Uh, <laughs> 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 so what else is the, are parts of it for you? Well, I think having income sources can be a part of it. I think a big part is figuring out what's going to keep your juices flowing. Right, because you know when when you get to that point of retirement, you've lived decades working and finding a lot of your self worth in what you've done in life. Mm. And if you retire and you go golf or you go sit on the beach drinking your martini or something, that will be cool. And some people, I know one or two people that that's all they do. Uh, but for most of us, we're going to be still very healthy, still very active, still wanting to contribute. And from a financial perspective, if you don't know what's going to keep those juices flowing, a lot of people bluntly will fall into consumerism. Mm -hmm. They'll just shop as their job or they'll travel and spend money on experiences to try to fill that void. Mm. Now, if you... So other than saving up a boatload of money and having side hustle and everything else, if you manage your lifestyle where you find value and your self-worth in experiences and people and hobbies rather than in consumerism, that's a huge part of the equation. And I'm working with a couple right now where what's going to they don't have a ton of money, but they only need $60,000 a year after taxes to live the life of kings, according to them. Yeah. Well, if you can live on that rather than $100,000 a year and be happy internally, then that's, that's huge. Yeah, exactly. And I guess I think one thing I want to add here is, at least the way I see you know, I never want to stop working because I get fulfillment from it. But retirement can be seen not as a time to simply quit working and then live off of whatever you've built, but it could be a time to simply taper off your work. Maybe work yes. part time, have a side thing. You know, if you can bring an extra income during retirement, that's less of a burden on whatever you built when you were still working. We need to come up with the word in trade market because it's really not retirement. It's that working, you know, being more independent and controlling your destiny, not having to go to the nine to five, living more independent. It's uh, part timerment. Part timerment. Some guy <laughs> independence. He called it independence. I don't independent. Know that. Okay, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> so sit on my butt when I want to. You, you have someone in your office, and, and they're looking to retire. And I mean, they they could give you all of their their wants and needs and stuff like that. But like, how do you actually walk through them and you know, walk through it with them? Like, if it's actually feasible, you know, they make X, they want to retire in sixty thousand dollars a year. Um, like, what what kind of math do you apply to these things? Oh, that's my specialty. That's what I do all day long. Let's, is let's figure talk out numbers. What is exactly doable? Because you have to factor in so much uncertainty, right? Mm. So the first thing I tell them is even if I tell you what you want is doable and I give you a thumbs up for this, it doesn't mean you won't have to live in a trailer when you're 80. You mm. still might have to live in a trailer because there's so much uncertainty. Is 
And what I mean by that is you can have it all lined up nice and pretty, but if life goes against you, health, markets, divorce, whatever, you could still be screwed. Mm. So figuring it out is like just getting that direction. And if you don't have the little conversations to adjust as life unfolds, you're still going to be screwed. It's all about the little adjustments along the way. Tell me about those okay. little conversations because I think that that's actually one of the biggest things that people are missing like in their financial lives with like mm. significant others or even like the internal dialogue. Oh, it, it, it's totally what it is. So this is going to sound scary. Why don't you use 24? Yeah. That one. <laughs> Dang. Okay. I'm going to call you son for the rest of the show because my wife and I are okay, celebrating pops. our 20th. Our 20, you're, you're, wait, you're financially independent though, right? I don't want you to be yes. son. <laughs> so my wife and I are celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. Right? Congratulations. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. She put That's up with me for that long. That's why I'm upstairs in my little studio. We're getting ready um, to celebrate our third anniversary of boyfriend girlfriendness. Okay, that's pretty cool. So this is going to apply to you. So you know, I always ask people, what's the secret to a good marriage? And I get lots of answers. You know, it's good sex. It's good. You know, you know, you know, talking, just things like that. And I tell, I tell them, well, my secret to a good marriage is, I'm pretty pragmatic. I never want to have a big conversation with my wife. If I don't have to walk in the room and look at that face and go, oh crap. I don't want to have that. Yes, you're right there. I, yes. I'm totally vibing with that because Little someone usually dies in big conversations. <laughs> yeah, you? usually it's the guy, right? Yeah, seriously. Or has got to pull out the Necronomicon to bring you back after she kills you. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, in my career, I've handled a lot of divorces, some amicable, some very not amicable. Mm. And they don't even know what the hell they're pissed off about anymore. It could have been the toilet seat for 10 years. And you just had this resentment that built up over and over again until they just blew a top. And they don't even know why they're pissed. They're just pissed and they hate you. Have you ever and, seen the YouTube video where, like, the wife is filming these deer in their backyard and their husband sneezes? And she's just like, nice, Ron. <laughs> you can just tell there's, like, decades of animosity. <laughs> so how do you avoid that? The only way I know how to avoid that, and not that I'm good at it, my wife will tell you I'm not necessarily good at it, is to have lots and lots of little conversations that mm. might be a little bit uncomfortable so none of that resentment builds up. So yes. a good example. One of those things that could build up for me, and I say it every time, is my wife likes to floss, which is good for her, right? Mm, okay. But she freaking leaves her floss on the little table between our chairs by the TV, I'm like, that's just gross. you got to yeah. throw that away. <laughs> and I tell her every single time. But something stupid as that could build up to where I just play this scenario in my head of how she's doing that to spite me and she hates me and everything else. So having lots of little conversations assures or helps assure that you're walking hand in hand, right? right. It's the exact same thing with money. Whether you're, for <laughs> Whether you're 48 like me or 24 like you, I have no clue what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to happen in the markets. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what's going to happen in my career. So rather than sit here and freak out and try to figure it all out, which is what 99% of everybody does, whether it's market predictions and goals and things like that, let's just build a good framework and have the right little conversations with the right, right checkpoints at the right times. And that's all I do is I make sure those conversations happen. Yeah, I like that a lot. Actually, I have 
I mean, I have a few cardinal rules in my relationship, but I have one that's very important to me, which is never go to bed angry. Mm. And like, I will sit up and have dumb puppy dog eyes on my, you know, on my face all night if I have to. If my girlfriend and I are pissed off at each other for whatever reason, I won't go to bed because, like you say, you know, little conversations. I don't want anything to build up. I don't want there to ever be a night where you drift off to sleep being pissed off at something that I did or that she did. Not gonna let it happen. So, very good for you. Yeah. And once you get it out, as sucky as it will be in the moment, it changes right. the dynamic of it. So good for you, man. Yeah, it's like half an hour of tough conversation, you know, awkwardness. But after that, is right back to being a good relationship. Yeah. So, so I like, like that. This is like a touching moment, right? Here. <laughs> Guys, I'm gonna start crying. I just gotta <laughs> Have another drink. Have another drink. All right, I will. I will. There you go. Yes. So little conversations, just mini adjustments as you yeah. go through life. Don't think you but, need to plan. But to your and I question, feel like I'm learning okay. something here because I tried to plan it all out, and I mean it's on my website. I want to have this amount of money by forty, so it translates to this monthly income. Well, thank you for your. So I for a while I taught the retirement planning segment of the certified financial planning curriculum at the local university. So mm. I was teaching future CFPs, mm. and the process, the best practice of the industry is figuring it all out for the next 90 years, right, or 50 years. And a financial plan, I don't do big, fat financial plans like some people do. You turn on, like, Autobot mindset, and you just <laughs> crank out 40 years of life, and then you're there. Well, those plans have spreadsheets like a business plan would be for the rest of your right. life, showing how much money you're taking out in <laughs> 2045. Well, what freaking good is that? As soon as it's printed, it's worthless, just like a formal business plan. Do I buy oh. this box of raisins? Go through the flow chart. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm much more fluid with the clients I walk life with and having those little conversations so we can make sure we make all those little adjustments along the way. Yeah. I, I'm curious. And uh, I, I, maybe there's no one better to ask than you because uh, how long have you been a financial planner for? <laughs> As old as as long as he's been alive. Uh, okay. Years. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, now there, there. Are, everyone who listens to this podcast obviously has some level of interest in finance, right? There, there are super nerds. There are people just starting out. Um, why would any of these people go to a financial planner? I mean, because there are unlit. You have a podcast. We have a podcast. Joe from Stacking Benjamins has a podcast. I mean, you can learn all this stuff yourself, right? Oh, no, it, the the logic of it isn't hard. The logic of it isn't hard. It's the the problem is well, it's just like why would anybody go to a coach, like a career coach, a life coach, or anything else? Why is because <laughs> it's not a money solution. Money and the the implementing. The ideas is not intellectually difficult, but it's like you were saying, going to bed or not going to bed and having that little difficult conversation most of us will never do, right? I think the reason, of, and we can talk about financial planners and their value, but the reason you would use a competent financial planner that actually had skill, the reason you would do that is because you are so emotionally invested in your own life that you don't see things you don't see reality mm. you are you are captive by your fears by your greeds by your history by the 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 trains of thought that take on a life of their own 
And having someone to be able to speak into your life and pull you down when you're too optimistic and pull you up when you're too pessimistic and to help you approach things with fresh eyes is invaluable. If you have the right person, now that's a whole other issue in itself, finding somebody that's uh, capable of that. And also being able to tap into someone that has actually walked the journey with you know, hundreds of people and seen so many different scenarios that has that kind of perspective can be really rich. Now, there are a lot of amazing podcasts and resources out there. The problem is most financial planners in the marketing and presentation, they're always trying to sell you something, mm-hmm. right? And then bluntly, the personal finance podcasters and bloggers as a whole have fantastic information, but they've never had to walk the journey after the decision was made and deal with the aftermath of it. And that's a lot of things sound really good in theory until you try to deal with the consequences with what happens with it or as life unfolds in some way. But it's really hard to find a a really good financial planner if you're not intentional about it. Most people just use their buddy or somebody, their buddy, so it was good. So, so the key thing, I mean, the financial planner is like more um, like an arbitrator in that you have someone else or, or maybe your team in in this the your client's life to help them like talk through situations like kind of just uh, I, am I am I kind of getting the gist of it like yeah well you have different personalities like the people that listen to podcasts and and blog read blogs and things like that they're probably not my traditional client my traditional clients are people that want somebody to walk life with them and they don't want to deal with it they just want they you wanna, to figure it out. and They want to delegate and have it facilitated. They just want to show up and participate and know that that part of their life is taken care of. Mm. They don't listen to financial podcasts because they, they, they're too busy living their life. Mm. Yeah, and you know what? I don't think there's much wrong with that. I mean, like obviously, we run a financial podcast. We want people to educate themselves. But not everybody is going to want to. And I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with finding a trusted person to help you along the way. So I guess my question is, how do you know that a specific financial planner has your interests at heart instead of, mm. you know, mostly their own interests? Like, well, I mean, obviously, they have that's, their interests at all the time, but yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll answer that, but I'll say that's part of the reason why I started my podcast and my blog. One was to become much more intentional about how I serve my clients by answering questions and teaching because that makes your mind much sharper. Right. And two was I want I I think the industry sucks in terms of how we train people and how you or a consumer can find somebody good. So I wanted to speak into people's lives that I may never actually interact with because they wouldn't listen to podcasts. So they wouldn't come to me in the first place. So how do you find a good financial planner is, one, you want them to be a fiduciary. And that's a A fiduciary? A fiduciary. So what does that mean? A fiduciary is a legal concept, which means basically they they have to. They have a legal obligation to do what's in your best interest. So what, what sort of like structures exist to make sure they're doing that? What's the criteria for that? So that means that they would work on a fee basis. Either they would charge you a planning fee or they would charge you a fee to manage your money or some combination of that. 
Okay. If they work on a fee basis, they're going to be a legal fiduciary to you. Okay. Meaning that you can sue them if they're not working in your best interest. And part of being a fiduciary means disclosing any conflicts of interest that might come up. Disclosing okay. you know, what you're being paid and the fees you're being paid and everything else. Compare that to someone that sells securities, which I still have my licenses and I'm able to do that. But somebody that offers you a mutual fund and you're going to pay a commission for it, their only obligation, and I was actually just in a congresswoman's office yesterday talking about this because there's some bills coming up about this whole, this whole issue, is that someone that's offering you a product and they're going to earn a commission on it, their only legal obligation is to make sure it's suitable for you. So Not what's the difference between... Okay, so what's the difference between a commission on a product sold and a fee? So okay. if it's a fee, is it like I'm gonna pick you, a, you know, a mutual fund or a mutual dund? Um, oh, <laughs> and crap, I'm gonna, I said that word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm gonna pay. You're gonna pay a fee no matter which fund I pick. Is that the difference? Yeah. So a fiduciary is they're gonna be paid for their advice is the best way to say it, rather than what okay. you actually do. Okay, so it's not like. I'm going to get a commission for recommending you to Joe right. Schmo's random mutual fund or whatever. It's like, you're paying me 50 bucks no matter what I tell you. And I have no vested interest in what you buy. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I have no, I'm getting no back end anywhere. I'll, the only person I'm getting paid by is you for advice. So Whereas, a fiduciary, not a douchiary. There you go. <laughs> and then, and then I have on my, I have a retirement learning center on my, on my website. Okay. And I actually have a list of questions that you should use to interview a financial advisor. And they go toward, and nobody, I'll tell you, by being hired by lots of people, they ask very poor questions. You know, they're looking for the, the personal part of it. They don't ask questions like, well, before I tell you anything about me, tell me about the clients that you serve. Because maybe I serve only, you know, Hungarian dentists and you're a, uh, you know, you're a Jewish, you know, pipe fitter. I don't know anything about your life. So what kind of clients do you serve? Tell me about your investment process. Do you use it the same way every single time? Tell me about our communication schedule. Tell me the planning process that you use. Usually when you go meet a financial advisor, they're going to start asking you tons of questions. Right. And really what you want to do is turn that all the way around and not say a thing about yourself and come in with your list of questions and ask them questions before they know anything about you. That way you can get a real idea of what their practice is. So here's a follow-up to that. If I ask a financial advisor, what's your investment process, likely that I'm going to not know anything about what they just told me. So what kind of pre-learning can people do to be able to make a judgment call off what they're told? Well, that's a good question. You can become, become educated because they're one – there are a zillion different investment processes, right? Mm. Some guys like alternative stuff. Some people like trading and and market timing and things like that. All the way to the passive investor. So you have to know understanding some basic understanding of what you're looking for. But I would suggest that you really want to look for a well thought out answer, and that the fact that they actually do it the same way every single time. Okay. Which I'm going to tell you is very rare. Most financial advisors don't have a well-thought-out investment strategy that they use every single time. 
They don't. So you're looking for a consistent track record of progress that's done through a well thought out plan, basically, not just right. somebody who's like picking random stuff for every client and seeing like throwing darts at a wall. Yeah, I mean, okay. You look at one of the first things I say to people is, "Look, let's get let's get it straight here. I have I I my biggest benefit to you is I acknowledge how much I have no clue about. I don't. There's so much I don't know, and I acknowledge that. Gotcha. And I think you have to, in my mind, you want somebody that can come from it from that standpoint that is actively trying to figure out, whereas most of them just try to show how you know how smart they might be. Yeah. Look how many books I got back there. I can Google smart (laughs) in a second, right? So much knowledge. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and, and, you know, I'm the one with like four certifications, you know, across my name. I I look like a really smart guy, but I can Google smart. I think the value I have is the wisdom. I can't Google wisdom. Right. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. So, Andrew, do you have any extra questions before we start wrapping up here? Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to find out more? Well, rogerwhitney.com is the website. Okay. And I blog there. I got the, the podcast, which I do. Even if you're young, even if you're your age, your guys' age, you, must, you still might. I'm not as cool as you guys, but, you know, but that's the age thing. It's still applicable. Um, and then I do webinars about every other month, and I'm very audience-driven. So rogerwhitney.com or go to iTunes and look for Retirement Answer Man. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming to the show. This has been a great conversation. All right, I'm glad you guys are still sober. <laughs> mostly, mostly. Mostly. Sober. One dram. Come on, man. All right, guys. If you have personal finance questions about retirement or anything else, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com is where you can research us. Research us. Well, You're okay. cut and off. No more for I'm you. Drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Reach us. <laughs> it's only like the 50th time andrew, you've done this right? you can bury andrew in emails please do I, I like i'm it. told that andrew has quite the uh quite the slick email setup that i, I have told you, you got a tour yeah i know you if told you me if you email yeah. us and we reply back you're, you'll be uh you'll be blown away by how sexy the email looks maybe the it's content cool. won't be that sexy but it'll look really good well, if you put a picture of yourself in there, it'll be pretty sexy. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm <laughs> winking suggestively at you. Selfies in all personal finance question answer emails might be coming. Mm-hmm. Not going to guarantee you. Uh, Listen, Money Matters community. How's that going? Ah, it's going really good, actually. Yeah, I've, been, I've actually been in there lately. So yeah, I, you- I can say it. it's, it's nice. It's really cool. We we've I mean like first of all like the the software is is like just like fantastic they're like the coolest message boards I've ever used. It is, dude. You know how much I hate most message board software. It's like old school and everything. Like you get notifications in this one. I know. It's basically Facebook, except for it, I don't have to go to Facebook. So. We're, we're actually uh, we're in like a few days. So by the time this goes live, what we're releasing like the badges that Anna's been working on. We're, we're doing like all this cool stuff. They look slick. So I don't want to mm-hmm. sound like I'm like. What's what's the word for like sh- shilling? That's what mm. I want to like sound like I'm shilling the community. Like to be honest, I was skeptical about it because the idea of a community stresses me out mm. because I already have one thousand zillion emails and one thousand zillion YouTube comments and the thought of having a community of like a forum to answer. But then I've like been in there and I'm like, this is really well built and nice and I like it. So cool. Yeah, I mean, props it- to you because I have done no work <laughs> on it. <laughs> Oh, no, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just threw it up. Yeah. yeah, it just took me a weekend. So, I mean, I don't think we've launched completely out of alpha, beta, you know, zeta, whatever, omega. 
Um, but you can email us if you really want access. And if if you if you make you a compelling was. case of why you're like really awesome, you can get into our alpha, or just wait until sometime in September. Then we're yeah. watching beta. I mean, it'll be really soon that we're going to be kind of doing a little more open beta. So that's a thing on the horizon. Also, if you're not subscribed yet, you can subscribe iTunes, Stitcher, Beatbop, Flippo. I'm making up. Podcast. I love Beatbop oh. Flippo. Beatbop Flippo. And if you want to review us on Beatbop Flippo, that's always. <laughs> Actually, no, just please just re- review us on iTunes. <laughs> iTunes is probably the best. Yeah. Uh, today's review comes from D Cowboys 10. It says this podcast is an excellent resource for everyone. Both Andrew and Thomas are relatable and entertaining. One of my favorite aspects of the podcast is their admittance of what they do not know. We do admit that. Which is like everything. Off. Like everything, right? That's yeah. why we got to have guests. <laughs> They're open to learning and will often walk you through the research that they are doing so you as a listener are learning with them. This is refreshing, especially in the world of personal finance. They're open to new ideas and improving methods as opposed to having one set way. I would agree. <laughs> Sweet, yeah. That's like, oh, that's a very uh, fancy praising way of saying like, we're a couple of dumbasses who just tell you where, where to learn from. <laughs> but they have right? really expensive microphones. So they I do. Would, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you I, gotta I, get people like Roger on the show to actually school us. Ser- seriously, Roger, you have like a, a good microphone and you have financial knowledge. So I don't know how we're going to compete. Dude, and I, I, got got the whole, I got the whole the package. <laughs> I got the whole I see package. video stuff, which I'm, I approve of. All right, guys. Look, wait. I just want to say real quick. um, We were like really heavy on reviews in the beginning, and then we got like a lot of reviews. We haven't been. uh, This is like one of the major like forms of feedback that we get on the podcast. And when we do good, you guys come out and you tell us. When we do bad, you tell us three times more than the good times, (laughs) which which is fine, and we like it. Feels that way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Our most commented post was the Thomas buys a car episode. Just just listen or read the comments. There was, there was like, I think it's over 70 it comments. Such, it was but, such a controversial show. I know. Please leave a review and just tell us what you think or what you want. Like, that's, it's really helpful. And, you know like, what? my emotions are up and down based on your comments. <laughs> so. You know what I found out, Andrew? Huh? So, like, every show on you know, my podcast, I say, uh, you know, like, leave a review. It really helps. And, like, yay. And then on one, I didn't even, like, know this would work well, but I was like, Hey, we're really close to the fifty review goal I had on my impossible list, and then like people went and just wrote a ton of reviews. And I was like, "Holy <laughs> crap!" So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, go review the College of Booking podcast on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> we're at five thirty six, so I'll- I mean, you could be the five hundred thirty seventh. Mm. <laughs> I-, I would say, please leave us a review, but I would actually just want you to leave a damn review. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, yeah. But seriously, uh, last part of my little document here is tell you that if you want apps, resources, books that we recommend, all that kind of cool stuff, that's over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So that's all we got. Thank you so much, Roger, for coming to the show. And thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Later. Later. Tell your friends about this show.